This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Something that's always been important for me and something that's always grasped and held my heart is the importance of understanding that we serve a living God. We, we talk about the fact that Jesus is alive. We talk about the fact that Jesus is different to any other religion because Jesus lives. But the question is, do you live in that context? Do we live from that place where we really have connection with him and we have relationship with him and we're able to interact with him on an ongoing basis? It becomes, it's fundamental because that's what Christianity is all about. It's what separates us, what changes us. You may not know this, but you're a creative person. And I'm going to prove it to you today. You're a creative person. I'm going to start off and kind of we're going to wind a little bit and take a bit of a scenic journey, but it's intentional. But I'm going to take you to prove, I need to take the journey to prove to you that you are creative. If you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verse 17, I'm going to read it out of the Passion. So if you don't have the Passion, don't worry, I'll just, just listen. This gospel, gospel is the good news. The good news. Say the good news. Anytime you get bad news in church, it's not the good news. Okay, this is the good news. This good news unveils a continual revelation of God's righteousness. A perfect righteousness given to us when we believe. A continual revelation of God's righteousness. You know what he's saying there? We'll come back to the rest in a minute. A continual revelation is, that's like marriage. You live in a continual revelation. When you get married, the weird thing about it is you've lived an independent life and suddenly you've come into a new context, into a new place. And suddenly you find yourself as a husband or a wife and now you need to discover who am I in that context. I haven't been there before, but I don't get to define that space. That space gets to define me. And in that place, I move into it. But as, as I move into that space, I'm going to start making moments of discovery. There is an unveiling and a revelation on a continual basis as to what it means to be a good husband and a good wife. In that context, um, there's an unveiling of what it means to understand who your partner is. In that context, there's an unveiling that you're going to start to discover who you are. In the context of relationship, there's an unveiling that happens on an ongoing basis. And what God is saying to us is this. The joy of my heart is to spend time with you and in intimacy of relationship with you. And in that place, there's an ongoing unveiling that's going to take place. I'm going to reveal who I am to you. But the strange thing about it is relationship is not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. And so in that context, we're going to start to discover some stuff about who we are and an invitation to step into newness. And it moves us from receiving life through faith to the power of living by faith. Receiving life through faith to living by faith. I would venture to say, and I'm going to take a bit of a leap with this one, but most Christians know what it is to be saved by faith. And they find themselves in that place. They're born again. They have the life of God on the inside of them. The question is, how many of those people are living by the power of faith? That's what changes us. Because that's when I start stepping into a paradigm where I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's when Christ becomes alive on the inside of who I am. But it's not a space that I get to define. It's something that he gets to define. And so, how do we do this? How do we do this thing? I often go book to, back to the book of Genesis because I think it's so important because it reveals to us God's heart. And it reveals to us his design for things. And when God created man, he did something interesting. He took man, uh, sorry, he took dust and he created body. And he took himself and he blew spirit into man. From the very outset and the very beginning of things, God was introducing us to the reality that man is a creature that is different to any other creature and that we're going to live in two paradigms. 
We're going to live in the natural and we're going to live in the spiritual. And both of those things are need to be complementary to one another. We need to understand what that is. God really wants for us to be based and to be established in the knowledge that you are a spirit being having a natural experience. We always say yes to that. But I don't know about you. Very often I find myself naturally doing a whole bunch of stuff without much consideration to the spiritual side of things. Well, maybe it's just me. Have you ever done that? The, the problem with it is our natural inclination is that way. And the, the, the thing is what God is trying to do is God is trying to shift us a little bit and he's trying to move us back to the reality and to live from the paradigm that I am a spiritual being having a natural experience. What is to take preeminence in my life and what is to be the source of my life is spirit, not natural. It's consequential that he says God breathed the breath of life into man. God breathed spirit into man. What he's saying is, everything that relates to me comes through breath, comes through spirit. You're not going to find God in the natural. What you're going to find in the natural is religion and form. But if you're looking for relationship, you're going to find it in spirit. So he's always taking us back to that paradigm. He's taking us back to the place where he's sitting saying, I want for you to be able to relate to me. Relating is an exercise that we do. We relate to the natural every day. You see things. You are relating to what's happening in your environment. You touch things. You relate. You feel things. You, your senses are giving you an experience in the natural. We are relating to it. But God says, I don't just want you to be able to relate in a natural context. I want you to move to a space where you start to relate to spiritual things. Our ability to relate to those things that are not visible to who we are. They're spiritual. It doesn't mean that they're any less consequential. In fact, they're far more consequential. But he's wanting us to move in that direction. He's moving us to a place where we begin to recognize those things. What's important is in... John chapter 17, verse 16. The, the paraphrase version speaks about the fact that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. There's an important paradigm that we as believers need to be aware of. And it needs to be something that becomes so much a part of our life that we walk through life distinguishing ourselves in this context. You're in the world, you're not of the world. If you look at a common theme throughout scripture, what you're going to see is you're in the world, but you're not of the world. I created Physical from the dust of the earth, but I created spiritual by breathing the breath of life into man. I've given you the ability and the capacity to be able to manage your life in a natural context, and so I've given you a brain, the ability to be able to synthesize and process information and stimulus that I'm getting through all of my senses. But my brain is an organ and a tool for functioning in the natural. I breathe the breath of life into you. And at the very heart of breath of life, at the very heart and the center and the essence of spirit is mind. The ability to be able to make decisions about who it is that I am. What am I all about? How do, why don't you just turn that off a little bit, please? Sorry. Um, who I am and what I'm all about. The reason that mind becomes so important is because it's you in the context of spirit. And that's where you're going to meet God. You're going to meet God as you are. My, when God breathed into you, he made you a spirit being. But you're not just nebulous spirit being that's got no sense of definition or no idea or you're just not this stuff that's around you have to be able to have the ability to be able to define who you are like God said God makes choices about who he is I believe this I don't like that I want that I create from those things God at the very essence of who he is has a mind that's who God is all about he's created us with that same capacity and so from the center of who we are, that is the place where we, we begin to relate to God and we get a sensing and we get a feel for God. He's dividing us all the time into these different arenas. You are in the world, but you're not of the world. Be transformed, do not be conformed. The spirit gives life, the flesh profits. Anytime we move from the paradigm of spirit and we allow flesh to be give, give designation to our life and take priority in our life, we put ourselves in a wobbly position because we end up compromised in a space where we're allowing something which is natural 
to influence us and God sitting saying, if you can build your house on the rock, you'll be solid and you'll be safe. You put yourself in a good place. So we're looking at those kind of things, but why does it become so important for us? Because in Matthew 6, verse 33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm calling you back to a place of definition. I'm calling you back to recognizing the fact that you are spirit having a natural experience. I'm calling you back to the place to recognize the fact that the very source of your life is spirit in nature. Seek first the kingdom. What he's saying is you have a choice. We celebrate the fact that as people, we have a wonderful opportunity in that we have the ability to make choices for our life. We have the ability to move into arenas and decide how it is that we want to present ourselves, who we want to be, what we want to, choice is a wonderful thing. The opportunity to make choice is fabulous, but it comes with responsibility. The challenge with it is this, because God is giving us choice, it comes with a boundary which means God is never going to run into your life and do some stuff that you don't authorize. If He couldn't give you a free will and say, here's a free will, and then just do whatever he wants in your life. That's why partnership with God is so important because he's always knocking on the door. He's always looking. He's always checking out for opportunity. He's always extending an invitation. He's always looking for us to move into partnership with him. But we make a choice whether we do that. We the one who let the, lets the boundary down and lets him in. Either we do it or we don't. Seek first the kingdom. Don't worry about what's happening in your world. Don't worry what's happening in your situation. Seek first the kingdom and find out his position, his will. Get yourself established in what he says you should be doing in that place. And all these things will be added unto you. It is not a license to do anything that you would like to do. What it is, is an invitation to relationship. It's an invitation to meet with the author who's going to sit and say to you, this is what you want to do. And I have a choice in that space. And when I partner with that, what ends up happening is I get myself established in his will and what he wants. And all those things will be added unto me because the author is also the finisher, but he's only going to finish what he authored. That's where we sometimes get messed up. We want to run off and do our own thing and we're looking for the finisher to come into place, but we didn't really want the author. He's the author and the finisher. He does those things. I'm here to partner with him. It becomes consequential because the thing is, as we go through life, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but you know it's amazing. Circumstances and situations are going to demand something of you. What do you put into your world? If we put into our world our knowledge and our understanding and our information and our history, and those things are, are they, they pertinent and they viable in certain situations, but you're going to get into some situations that are beyond your control and your ability. And in that space, I've got to have something that I can put into that place. I've got to have something that I can put into that that's not of me because I can't do some stuff that he can do. And so he's inviting us into this place and he's moving us along. And it's, uh, hold on, I want to go somewhere with that. Where was I going to go? I'm going to talk to you about something. Yeah, I told you that. He, he wants to work with us. And the challenge sometimes that we have is, I found myself in a place many times where I didn't really know how to partner with God. I knew what the word said and I could regurgitate and tell you what that meant. I'll give it to you. But I didn't really understand how to apply to my life and how to partner with God. And it becomes so important for us because if we're talking about living from a different place and we're talking about living from relationship with him, it becomes important that we give him the opportunity to give definition to what that is. I learn what that is and I begin to step into his design for that space. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4 says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Do you know what he's saying? 
I know that they love me. I know that they're well-intentioned. I know that they're good-hearted. I know that they're looking out for the best. I know that they're probably looking for my intervention in their life and their circumstances. The problem with it is I'm here looking for them. I'm extending an invitation, but I don't know where they are. And things don't work out the way that they think it should because they don't see God in that place. And God's sitting saying, I'm trying to partner with you, but where are you? I'm trying to do some stuff with God. I'm trying to get together with God, but I don't know where he is because I'm so comfortable being a conformist. I'm so comfortable in my senses. I'm so comfortable in my brain and my ability to take information and control my world. But I have very limited knowledge when it comes to dealing with the spiritual dimension. For all of us, it becomes an exercise. And we don't get it right all the time. Maybe you get it right more than me. But we're trying things. Trying is a good thing. And don't, it's like learning to walk. Don't worry if you kind of get up and you wobble and you fall. It's okay. The thing about it is you have a heart and you have a disposition that says, I want to walk into that dimension of my life that is more important and more consequential than where I am on the other side. And so I'm on that journey. The wonderful thing about that journey is that you have somebody called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is here to guide you and to teach you. So if any, if ever you're at a point where you're sitting saying, Holy Spirit, I don't know how to do this. How do I walk into the next stage? He's there to take you there. Our brain becomes so important in, in working in the natural. But never let it overtake and never let it, let, never let it have preeminence over your mind. God intended for our mind, who we are spiritually, to always be in control. We're strange as people because we are so comfortable in the natural realm that, we, I mean, we use our, our brain for opening a box of, of Rice Krispies. You've never worried about that. You just know how to do that. We, 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 we're comfortable when it comes to understanding football plays and getting on the field and knowing what we should do. We're comfortable when we get to a place where we, we want to build taller skyscrapers and faster airplanes and more luxurious cars. We love convenience like Starbucks with drive throughs and fast food that's put on our plate in three minutes. We celebrate efficiencies. We're happy in the arena of productivity. We make idols of people who are musically talented. Those are not arenas that we seem to struggle in. It's so second nature to us. It's so easy. And yet, the thing is, walking into the mind and living from that space is far more important, and yet we're not all that comfortable with it. Walking from the natural to the spiritual becomes a more formidable task very often. The thing about it is this. The reason that the mind is so much more consequential is because the things that define the mind distinguish themselves from what def defines the brain because they come with power. The things in your heart come with power. The things in your brain come with information. Let me give you an example. Fear. Fear is of the heart, not of your brain. It's of the mind. It comes with power. Anybody who's operating from fear will know, I can do some stuff out there, but there's something that's on the inside of me that's just eating away at all of this stuff. It, it, it infects every part of who I am. And it, it, it involves all of, it's got a life of its own. It has influence in who I am because it has power. Depression. Depression comes with power. It has the ability to override so many things. It has the ability to have influence in spaces. The crazy thing about it is this. Things of the mind are not subject to the influence of the brain. Things that are spiritual do not respond to things of the natural. You can't sit and say, I am not going to be fearful. Intellectually, I know I don't want to be fearful. I don't want to be anxious. I don't want, I don't want any of those things. 
So nobody sits and says it's a great idea. The problem with it is brain does not have the ability to influence mind in a way that it can get, take care of stuff like that. It cannot sort out my fear. Only Christ can. That's why we find ourselves bound to things. That's why people are stuck because they're things of the heart that I can't get rid of. I can learn to manage, but I can't get rid of. That's the problem with places like Alcoholics Anonymous. Is, or not, not Anonymous, what is it? It is. You know, the problem with it is when you go into that space, they never take you in as an alcoholic and take you out as somebody who's free. What they always do is we start off every single time with, hi, I'm an alcoholic and my name is Bob. What are they saying? I can't get rid of it. There's something that's got a power over me and I can manage it and everybody else here can support me, but I can't get rid of it. I need something spiritual to take care of those things. That's what's so wonderful about everything that our relationship with Christ brings. Christ doesn't deal with your brain. Your brain is for the natural. He deals with your heart. And because the things that populate the heart are characterized by power, every time the Holy Spirit takes things of Christ and introduces them to your heart, he's introducing power. Every time he comes into that space and he births faith on the inside of you, faith is a power. It is a divine confidence that comes from having some substance birthed on the inside of me. It's not something that is just like it's there. It influences every part of your being. It comes with power. When you have peace, peace birthed on the inside of you, it comes with power. The things of God that are birthed in our heart come with power. And so they redefine that space and they begin to change that space. And they put you in a place where you're able to deal with circumstances and situations differently to if you didn't have that power. The power is not designed to be resident inside, but ultimately to come out and influence. But it's important because if it doesn't start off inside, it never comes out. I'll tell you why it's important. Because if you're a parent out there today, thing is, your kids are facing a world that we never faced. When we grew up, oh, what did I do with my water? Why don't you just please throw that to me? When we grew up, my parents were worried that we would smoke a cigarette, drink some alcohol, or have premarital sex. Now, none of those things are particularly good, but the big difference between those things and where we are today is those are things that have to do with behavior. They're things that have to do with the brain. It's behavior. It's all natural. The challenge that the kids have got now is that it's no longer just to do with the brain. It has to do with the identity, which is about the heart. It comes with power to redefine. We never had that stuff when we were at school. Our children are facing realities that we Never had to face. And so it creates an interesting paradigm. Because how are we supposed to handle this? There's some practical ways to look at some things, but I can tell you this. The thing is, we are in the world. We are not of it. What it means is this. The world is going to define itself the way that it's going to define itself. The thing is, I can't sit and shelter my kid until they're 80. It doesn't work. At some point, they're going to go somewhere and see some stuff. Yeah. What I can do is I can equip them. Yeah. I can put some power on the inside of them so that they begin to define and understand who they are. Yeah. And when they live from that power base, it puts them in a different place because I can walk into some environments and rather than being confused about what I see, I'm very comfortable in who I am and I actually feel a sense of compassion for you because you're not in the same place. If you want your kids to, to manage the realities of the world that we live in today, you're going to have to empower them. You're going to have to empower them. You don't get to do it. You lead the way. The Holy Spirit is the one who takes the things of Christ and imparts it to them. It becomes so important. Spend time with your kids. You affirm your kids and you talk about everything. The days of you deciding how you want a parent are long gone. Our parenthood was stolen from us when it came to social media. 
Because our kids at school, through social media, through friends, through everything else, the problem with it is they're exposed to things at an age that we were never exposed to. I would love to have introduced my kids to some stuff when they were older. Gone. You don't get to choose it. It's part of the sadness about the reality of the world that we live in right now. You don't get to choose some things. The kids find themselves in a place and you have to be in a position where you're able to handle that effectively. Empower your kids. Empower your kids. Put them at a place where they have stuff on the inside of them so that they are comfortable and they're confident in who they am, who they are. When they're in that place, it's okay about the environment. Because you know what? They'll come home and say, you'll know what I saw, and they will talk about it. Opportunity. Affirm the identity. Draw points of comparison. There's something so interesting because the, the temptation I often find is we, we as Christians get so easily sucked into living in a natural realm. And we're doing that stuff and we shouldn't be. And it's not because it's intentional. It's because it looks really good sometimes, but actually we're missing it. Take a deep breath, everybody, because I'm going to give you an example. It's just something to, for you to think about. If you think differently, God bless you. Glory be. Unlike most universities or some, we like sharing ideas. So take it and think about it. And mine is spiritually based. Bible based. How about that? When Jesus came to earth and he was here and he grew up and he got to the place where he was revealing who, is, who he was. And the number one message that he had throughout everything else was kingdom. When they were in that space, the challenge with it was, is they were under Roman rule. And you know why most people got excited about Jesus? Because they thought he was coming to deliver them from Roman rule. They thought the kingdom was a natural kingdom. And they thought the kingdom coming was going to take them away and deliver them and get them out of Roman rule. And the irony with it was Jesus had almost nothing to say about Roman rule. Go read it in the Bible. Almost not. I think... The only thing he really touched on was give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. He spoke about taxes, and then he said they should do it. But they were disappointed with him because it was like, don't you understand what we're living under? Don't you understand the reality of our circumstances? Don't you understand how our world is so topsy-turvy? Don't you understand how ruthless the environment is? Don't you understand how this is not the kind of place where we as descendants of God should be proliferate uh, should, should be flourishing how come you're not changing that stuff and you know what he spoke about the kingdom the kingdom he spoke about the kingdom because people were more consequential than systems we get sucked into government stuff all the time do you know what's going on in politics? And do you know what's happening at the White House? And do you know what's going on with it? Blah, 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 blah. You know what? Next time you do that, just ask God where he is. I'm not saying for a moment that there shouldn't be influence in spaces that are ungodly. I agree with that. But what I am saying is this. Sometimes we get so sucked into politics and government that we lose sight of the fact that it's about people. Jesus came for people. The last time I checked, we live in a democracy. Democracy is composed of people. You want to change the rules? Change? Just saying. That's where the church has lost it a little bit. The problem with it is we're so busy fighting systems, we've forgotten about people. We're so busy fighting for this is that and that is that and this and that. And, and I, you may be 100% right in everything that you're saying. But you know what? God's still more concerned about people. Number one, people. If the church would get off their duff and wake up a little bit and stop petitioning so much with placards about this, that, and the next thing, and they went out and did their job and actually introduced Christ to people and started to turn this nation upside down with the, from the grassroots upwards, things would change. You can't change the fruit without changing the root. 
believe me, I'm not anti-government and I'm not saying don't have a voice and I'm not saying don't vote. I agree with all those things. What I'm saying is it's not the focus of God. The focus of God is people. And if we lose the focus, we end up in trouble. There is a reality to, to the natural realm. Good grief. There's a reality to the natural realm which God speaks about, which it is subject to change. Do you know what he's saying? Don't base anything of yourself on your environment. It includes governments and politicians because you know what? As grand as Rome was and as wonderful and imperial as it presented itself, you can go through the ruins today. Came and it went. Governments will come and governments will go. Let me tell you, it's not only that. Don't base your security on your job. Jobs will come and jobs will go because it's natural. Take a deep breath. Tell your husband or your wife next to you, I love you two bits, but don't base your life on them. You don't base your life on people. You base your life on him. And when your life is solid and established on him, I can love you fabulously. Because you know what? It's never a threat to me. I never feel unstable or insecure because you're not my security. He is. He is. Things in the natural are subject to change. And what that means is they will change. If there's one thing that's true about life, it is the fact that change happens. Change happens. He's inviting us always to move to a place where who we are is defined by who he is. He's inviting us back to discover and explore and to live from the center of our spiritual being in relationship with him. Allowing him to inform and give definition to who I am. So it was very sad recently because when Queen Elizabeth passed, there was a lot of pomp and a lot of ceremony and a lot of stuff going on. And it created a very uncomfortable and awkward time for the royal family because Harry came home. Harry came home. Harry was never in line to be king. William was. But if something had happened to William prior to him having kids, he was the successor. The thing about it is this. Harry would never have been king. Because Harry didn't understand that the benefits of the kingdom came with the responsibilities of the kingdom. Harry wants to run off and live how Harry wants to live and do what Harry wants to do. And he's totally okay to do that. The problem with it is you don't get the benefits of the kingdom if you want to be a maverick. You want to to run off and live any way that you want to live and begin to redefine things the way that you want to redefine them. The problem with it is you don't get the benefits of the kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It is written, I have not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. This is the point. Long after Harry has gone, a thousand-year-old monarchy is going to keep on moving. What Harry wants to do is up to Harry. The thing is, he's going to end up as a footnote in royal history. That's it. He will have no influence beyond that because he pulled himself out of the picture. It was so established and the system is so established. The office has been around for so long that unless he was prepared to allow the office to have influence in who he was, he would never walk into 
what it wanted, what it is designed to, for him to be. The office was bigger than him. This is what God's saying in Corinthians. I know the plans for you and the purposes for your life. They already have been set. If you want to know what they are, come and get together with me. You're not going to find them by discovering them in your brain. You're going to find my plans and my purposes for your life when you discover how to live from my spirit being in connection with the Holy Spirit. He's going to take the things of him, of God, and unveil them to us. His job is to take those things, the plans and purposes for God, and put them into play in your life. Those things have been set in motion by God, the author, the one who will complete them. We have the choice as to whether we want to allow that to influence us or not. We have free will. We can run off and do our own thing. The challenge with it is that we don't inherit the benefits of the kingdom. The challenge for Harry was this. He never understood the fact that he wasn't there to define the office. The office was there to define him. As born-again believers, we are not here to define who we need to be. God has already done that. You are to be conformed to the image of Christ. We have the choice and the prerogative. You don't have to do it. You can run off and do your own thing. The challenge with it is you put yourself in a vulnerable, vulnerable position because I'm going into the world and I'm not established on a solid foundation. Sometimes the reason that we don't inherit the value and, and what the kingdom has to offer is because we haven't allowed it to define who we are. We don't have a power base to our life. So we're getting out into spaces and doing some stuff that really God's not in there. And when the wheels come off, then we, we sit there wobbling all over the place. What are we supposed to do here? How do we redo things? If you have a look at 1 Corinthians, sorry, I'm hurrying a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. It says, I'm going to read it out of the Passion, but God's amazing grace has made me who I am. And his grace to me was not fruitless. In fact, I worked harder than all the rest, yet not in my own strength, but God's. For his empowering grace is poured out to me. This is what he's saying. When you got born again, the Spirit of God moved into that place. And when the Spirit of God moved into your spirit, it gave you a heart, not of stone, but of flesh. What it was saying was, I'm opening up those barriers so that you and I can want start to move into a place where we can relate to one another. When it was made of stone, we couldn't relate to one another. The thing is, when the Holy Spirit moves in, he moves in with a wonderful package called grace. Everything that Christ has provided for you is available to you through grace. What he's saying is the Holy Spirit's job is to take what grace is and offer it to who we are. And we as mind, making the decision about what we want to do, are in that place where we allow him to give definition to who we are. That's the whole process of renewing the mind. Renewing the mind is changing my identity. I'm growing from grace to grace. I'm moving to a place where as the Holy Spirit is opening stuff to me, I'm moving into a new dimension and understanding of who I am. Not because I defined it, because the Holy Spirit opened it up to me. And I can move into a new foundation that he has established in me. There is a responsibility, I believe, that goes with us as born-again believers, when it speaks about seek first the kingdom, it's understanding that there are benefits that come with certain situations, but we have to do our part to get there. Adulthood. Adulthood. Adulthood demands something of us. The biggest challenge is somebody who's moved into adulthood but still talks like a child, understands like a child, and thinks like a child. Because they make silly mistakes for their life. The thing about being an adult is you're legal. 
You can choose. When I was a child, I was protected because I had somebody else there. But now I'm an adult. And all of a sudden, I've moved into that space. I want, to do, I want to be treated like an adult. If you want to be treated like an adult, you have a responsibility to understand what adulthood is all about and to step into that space, which means I make better decisions because I consider things more broadly. The challenge with it is when we have kids moving into adulthood and still behaving like children, because we do things and we make cho choices that are impulsive, uninformed, and what ends up happening is all too often it hits the wall. And it's a challenge. Adulthood demands something of us. It demands something of us. Maturity. It's the same in our Christian walk. What do you want from it? Because it is going to cost us something. You don't, you don't have to provide grace. Jesus has done all of the grace for you. You don't have to do any of that. But how much do you want it? How much do you want it? Because getting to that space where I develop relationship with the Holy Spirit takes time. It takes the courage and the commitment and the dedication to go and work in that space and experiment with things because I haven't done it before. Are you tenacious? Or did we try it for three minutes and no, that doesn't work? The amazing thing for me is when I read about people who were the most for lack of a better term, successful as Christians. People who made a solid statement in history because of who they were. They were sold out to God. Without failure. All of them. It was a common feature. He was number one in everything. I don't know that he's always number one in the society in which we live. I think we have a respect for God and we love God, but to what degree are we committed to something greater than that? The more committed you are, the more value you have on the inside, the more power you have on the inside, because it doesn't come from you, it comes from him. The more I'm prepared to separate myself and sit and say, I'm looking for more power. I'm looking for more of who you are to give definition to my life. It puts me in a place where I can live from a different space. In the natural realm, it becomes important because when, if you work for a company and you do a good job and they think that you're a really wholesome individual and you add lots of value, they'll do something called promote you. Do you know what promotion is? Promotion is sitting saying, we recognize value in you and we think that you could do something more consequential. So we're inviting you to step up to something more. We're going to put you in this position because we're going to place a demand on the value we see on you. We want you to use that value to translate it into value for other people and ultimately the company. That's what God does with us. The amazing thing about it is when we get into relationship with God, he starts to invest something on the inside of us called treasure. He builds something on the inside of us called treasure. Treasure is important. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do something of him that is put on the inside of me. But I don't only have to get treasure from him. I can get treasure from other places. And that's why it says a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. A bad man out of the bad treasure in his heart brings forth. Where is the treasure? In the heart. He's not talking about your brain. He doesn't care what you, God, God really, God, I'll tell you why God doesn't matter what you think in your brain. Because when God influences, when the Holy Spirit influences your mind and he influences it with his power, what ends up happening is that translates to something that affects every part of your being. There's a domino effect. When we get to that place and we put our spirit in a place where it is dominant over the other parts of my life, it kicks things in. And it's not to say that they're not temptations at times, but the minute it is, you know what the amazing thing is? You have the spirit of God on the inside of you that checks you and goes, um, you shouldn't be doing that. He puts treasure on the inside of us. 
Treasure is important because it's that treasure that makes you a creative person. It's that treasure that makes you a creative person. When you talk about a creative person, a creative person who has the ability or the power to create. A creative person is someone who has the ability or the power to create. When we're tapped into treasure that is a power treasure from him, it puts you at a place where you become a creative entity. You become a creative being because I can use the ability and the power of what's on the inside of me to introduce it to my circumstance and my situations. I'm looking for change. I'm looking for transformation, not because of anything I've done, but because of the treasure he's put on the inside of me. It's treasure that comes with power. The thing about a, a person who is a creative person, creative people live in an expectation. They live in the, in, in the expectation of change and transformation. The wonderful thing about people who are creative people is that they have the ability to see things that are not natural. They have the ability to connect with an idea and something that has not got natural expression and bring it from one dimension and introduce it into another. That's what a creative person is all about. You were born to be a creative person. You were born to be creative. Why? Because God says, you know what? I have something wonderful. And every part of me that I invest in you comes with power. And one of the most incredible aspects of it is something called faith. Faith is a substance. It's a substance. It is a power substance that comes from God. But because it comes with power, it transforms us because it gives us a sense of, of persuasion about what it's all about because I have it invested on the inside of me. It changes because all of a sudden I have a substance that I can use that is power to create. All of a sudden, I can live in the expectation that things will change, not because of me, but because I have power on the inside of me. I live in a place where I'm allowing the author to give definition to who I am and what my future looks like. And you might not be able to see it, and maybe you can't imagine what it's going to be like. It doesn't matter. It's between me and him. But as he begins to author that on the inside of me, it puts me in a position where I can take what he's given me, and I can put it into my world. Because as a creative person, I can take from one dimension and introduce it to the next. That's what creative people do. You were born to be creative, but you only get to be creative out of relationship. You only get to be creative out of relationship when I'm intimate with him and I allow him to birth things on the inside of me. When he does that, you're not just any kind of creative person. You're not going to be a dreamer. You're going to be a visionary. There's a big difference. A dreamer lives from hope. A dreamer has big dreams and aspirations and great ideas. And I really hope that they come to pass. But a visionary has substance. A visionary is somebody who's on the inside. It's like, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care what the environment looks like. I've got something on the inside of me that's wanting to give birth. And I can tell you now, it doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter what the opposition is. It doesn't matter what the challenges are. We will find a way. Visionaries move into spaces because they are creative beings that are motivated by substance on the inside of them. Visionaries are people who have courage and ambition and they move into spaces looking for change in the expectation of change. Why? Because I've got something on the inside of me that's looking to evidence itself. I've got life that's kicking on the inside of me and it's looking for an opportunity to come out and to be revealed. That's what makes visionary. Long after the dreamer has gone, the visionary will be there. Yes. Wow. God created you as a creator. We can live from our own abilities, but if you want to be someone who is transformational, we need power. Power doesn't come from me. Power comes from him.
When I get together with the Holy Spirit and I sit and say, Holy Spirit, begin to redefine who I am. Begin to change who I am. What ends up happening, he starts birthing substance on the inside of me. Substance on the inside of me is so important because unless he can change me, he can't change how I live. I can't see with visionary eyes when I can't see the way he sees. He changes me and he conforms me to the image of Christ. I become a new creation and I, an experiential one. Not someone who's just been born again and experienced life because of faith, but somebody who lives by the power of faith. That's what visionaries are all about. Transformers. You want to change your world? Get together with the Holy Spirit. You want to have influence in space? Get together with the Holy Spirit. He will show you what that's supposed to be. What will keep us as born-again believers in a stable and secure place. Build your life on the rock. Build your life on the rock. You build it in that space. You're going to have Ian's coming through. <laughs> Ian's coming through. Not sure when. And if it's not him, it'll be his nephew. Or his cousin. It's going to arrive. It's okay. Unless you're not on the rock. You don't know this. But actually when I speak to you, I speak more to myself than to you. Because the funny thing is, you see when I step off here, I still have to go and live life like you. Can we all stand? Holy Spirit, you're a wonderful, wonderful visionary. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. We thank you for the power and the authority that comes with who you are. We thank you for the flooding our lives with grace as we got born again. We pray, Holy Spirit, that, we'll, that you'll take those things of him and that you'll impart them to us. And as we allow you to do your work in our lives, we want to thank you, Father, that we are renewed in the spirit of our mind. We become a new creation. We're shifting and we're changing. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you impart to us substance of power, peace, love, joy, goodness, faith. I thank you that it all comes charged with its own ability. As we begin to allow you to work in our lives, I thank you for transformed people. I thank you for power-charged people. I thank you, Father, that you open up the eyes of our understanding so that we, of our vision so that we see ourselves as visionaries. In Jesus' name.